We're going to do the Psalm of Ascent thing and we'll just have you guys sing as you're walking in. So as we go up together, let's, let's sing, Oh How Good It Is. Oh, how good it is when the family of God dwells together in spirit in faith and unity with the bonds of peace of acceptance and love are the fruit of his presence here among us so with one voice we'll sing to the lord and with one heart his word till the whole earth sees the redeemer has come for he dwells in the presence of his people let's stand join our voices sing it out man oh how good it is on this journey we share to rejoice with the happy and weep with those who mourn. For the weak find strength, the afflicted find grace when we offer the blessing of belong. One voice, so with one voice we'll sing to the Lord. dwells in the presence of his people. Oh, how good it is to embrace his command, to prefer one another, forgive as he forgives, and we live as one. We all share in the love of the Son with the Father and the Spirit. Every voice, so with one voice, we'll sing to the Lord. And with one heart, we'll live out His Word till the whole the Redeemer has come, for He dwells in the presence of His people. With one voice, so with one voice we'll sing to the Lord, and with one heart we'll live out His Word till the whole earth the Redeemer has come, for He dwells in the presence of His people. Maybe so.
Well, good morning, men. Did you like your burrito this morning? All right. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, how good it is to be in the family of God. We gather as men of God this morning, united by our faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you for this local church and for these men who have assembled because they want to grow in their faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work drawing us and opening our eyes to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, brothers, so we've been on a four-year journey uh, through our Gospel Men series. If you've been a part of that, uh, remember the three key words that we talked about to see men converted, growing, and serving. So we've been going through that. Well, this morning, I'm glad you're here because we're starting a new series, an exciting series through the spiritual disciplines. So I'd like to introduce Marshall Belwamini. Everybody say Belwamini. All right, so you know Belwamini, a.k.a. Marshall, who will be leading the men's forums from this point forward. Uh, Marshall is a godly man, gifted, and he's excited to serve you men through this ministry. So if you have questions, uh, then you can uh, direct those to him. I just want to introduce Marshall. Uh, Marshall grew up in Fresno, California. He enlisted in the Air Force in 2002, which brought him to Albuquerque. After serving in the Air Force, he stayed in Albuquerque and started his own business, a landscape business. Uh, He received his Bachelor's of Business Management from Grand Canyon University, and he's been married to Melissa for almost 15 years. And they have two sons, Hudson, who's nine, and Cade, who is four. So he enjoys studying God's Word in his free time, uh, fellowshipping with God's people, and spending time with his wife and kids, and watching baseball. So, Marshall, come on up and give us a roadmap of the future. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. Hey, I'm excited to see all of you guys here. Uh, What a blessing to see you. Men's Forum, right? So, previously, it was called the Gospel Men's Seminar. Just want to let you know, it's the same format, same focus, just new name, okay? Uh, Gospel Men... What does that mean? Well, we are converted, growing, and serving the Lord and others. And as gospel men, as men that are centered on the gospel, we do have a unique role, don't we? And that is to be spiritual leaders within the environment God has placed us and with the abilities that he's gifted us with. So the men's forms are designed to help us think about how the gospel does and should influence our spiritual lives. So as Dave said, today we're going to begin a new journey in the study of spiritual disciplines. And we have Alex Schroeder here. He's going to speak to us about the what and the why of spiritual disciplines. And let me just say a quick word about the importance of this subject as it relates to you and the local church. You see, if you are a child of God, you, are a, you have a part to play in the family of God similar to how you have a part that you play in your uh, work of business. As you do your part with the skills that you've learned, you help your organization move forward in fulfilling the vision that they have. Now, rather than thinking of God as having a vision for his business, think of God as having a vision for his family. He has called each child to be a part and to do a part. Ephesians 4 says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds one another 
up, itself up in love. So after you know you are a part of the whole, then we must ask the question, well, how do we know our part? And more importantly, how do we work properly in our part? Well, brothers, one way is through pursuing spiritual disciplines. So for the next several men's forums, we will take one biblical spiritual discipline at a time and examine its relevance to our spiritual lives. And we will invite a mentor to help us do that. And that is this man that wrote this book, Donald Whitney. He's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's written this book entitled Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And we're going to use this as a guide, as kind of a roadmap for us to understand the spiritual disciplines from a biblical perspective. And men, DSC is offering this book to you at a killer price. And some of you have taken advantage of that. Five bucks. Okay? So go ahead and get your copy. And I'll say this. I was talking with the men at the check-in table. And we actually have four books that we can give away for free. So I'm going to say the first four guys that come up to me afterwards, you're going to get this book for free. Okay? So take advantage of that. Let me quickly suggest three ways that we can use this book, that you should use this book. One is, read it yourself and attend the men's forums. Secondly, read it with someone else and attend the men's forums, maybe a brother in this room or possibly a family member. And then third, read it, attend the men's forums, and commit to doing one thing in this book that Donald Whitney suggests you to do that you've never done before. He suggests journaling as a spiritual discipline. Maybe you don't journal. Maybe you don't write much. Consider doing something that you've never done before in pursuing spiritual disciplines. I think you will be blessed. Well, men, uh, we do have an encouraging morning in store for us. Okay, We're going to have Frank Ortiz come up here in a little bit. He's going to share with us about an opportunity that you can get plugged in with other men in the church. And then we're going to have Ben Hobbs tell us about a great book he's just read. Super encouraging. We're going to sing some more, and then we'll hear from Alex Schroeder. Lastly, we'll break up into our small groups uh, in the auditorium here and discuss how we can apply what we just learned. But before I have Frank come up, uh, let me introduce Alex to us. The Lord saved Alex out of passive atheism and worldliness while he was in high school. Praise God for that. Over the course of time, the Lord continued to place other godly men around Alex to invest in him and encourage him towards vocational ministry in the local church. He received his Master of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and prior to serving at Desert Springs Church as the Minister of Discipleship, he served as a residential, or at a residential college and has served as a youth minister. And he is married to Claire and has two daughters, Annie and Evie. I'm so excited to have Alex here introduce to us the purpose of spiritual disciplines. But let's hear from a couple brothers before that. So Frank, come on up, brother. So brothers, good morning. morning. It's so good to be here along with you, man. Um, For the sake of the sake of time, I'm going to get right in and make an appeal for you to meet and read the Bible with another man one-to-one. I'd like to start with an illustration from Star Wars Clone Wars. Yeah. 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 Obi-Wan gives Anakin his lightsaber back that he dropped, and he says, this weapon 
is your life. This is how the Bible is for us. It is our life. But are we treating it like it is? I'd say that none of us are treasuring the Bible as we should. Psalm 119.11 in the CSB says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. One-to-one Bible reading is a ministry that can help us treasure God's word more. Let me be clear. It's not the only ministry that makes us desire to treasure God's word more. Community groups, men's huddles, and even this men's forum do this as well. But one-to-one Bible reading is my favorite way to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Romans 1.12 Even if you are dissuaded to meet one-to-one, think of the next two points. First, it only takes one hour of the 168 hours in a week. If you want to meet every two weeks, just double that number. Either way, it takes less than 1% of your time. Uh, The second point is more of an example Let's say you work day shift, Tuesday through Saturday. This possibly means you can't attend either men's huddle on Friday or Saturday. But if you can get together with one other guy at Desert Springs and think of three times that work for each of you, then agree on a time to meet. You may have some questions now in your head, so I'm going to address three questions. Uh, The first question, who do we meet with? Meet with someone like you? or not like you. Example, somebody who's 70 meeting with someone who's in his 30s, or one guy in his 20s meeting with somebody in his 30s. Also, the same culture or different culture. Remember the one thing that is alike, the Holy Spirit. We are the same body. When choosing someone to meet with, remember how Jesus had no barriers with the Samaritan woman, tax collectors, Pharisees, and sinners in general. Let us do the same. Uh, The second question, where do we meet? Over the phone, at a park, or at a coffee shop? Uh, Just a place where there can be less distractions. Uh, Lastly and most importantly, what is the purpose of one-to-one Bible reading? The purpose is to know God's word better. And remember, a little better is better. And when we grow in knowing God's word better, we, know, we grow in knowing Christ. I just want to encourage you all to meet one-on-one with older, younger, same-age brothers, and so grow in Christ. I have copies of David Helm's book, One-to-One Bible Reading, if anyone needs one. And if we run out, I will work on getting more uh, copies of that book. My email is frankj1220 at yahoo.com if anyone has any questions and uh, just wants to start meeting with somebody one-on-one. Thank you for this time, and I'd like to just end in a short prayer. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would use this ministry to grow us in love for your word and for Christ, and that you, Lord, would be glorified through one-to-one Bible reading. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Frank, for going over the one-to-one Bible reading. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben Hobbs. For those of you I haven't met, and I have been given the delightful task this morning of bringing before you a book review. I did leave the book at home, but I'm sure you can all look it up and see the cover of it just fine. The name of it is called 
Christ Formed in You by Brian Hedges. And if any of you have been around me the past month or two, you will know that I really, really have enjoyed reading this book. It's been edifying for me. If you try to find information about Brian Hedges, the author, you'll actually be kind of hard-pressed to find much detail about his upbringing or details about his life. He was raised in a pastor's family. He began preaching when he was 18 years old, and he is currently the lead pastor at Redeemer Church in Niles, Michigan. You might ask, what qualifies him then to write a book about sanctification? I will say that Paul David Tripp does write a good review for it. His favorite people to read, and the ones he reads the most, are John Calvin, John Owen, and Jonathan Edwards. I guess he's partial to the Johns. And I will say also that Donald Whitney, the writer of the Spiritual Disciplines book that we'll be going through for our study, wrote the intro to his book. But more important than any of these things was a clear love for the Lord, a knowledge of his word, and a love for the gospel that really could be seen on every page. So what is the book about? Well, the subtitle encapsulates it well. It is the power of the gospel for personal change, or what I would say is just the gospel's ability to sanctify us. The gospel truly is the key that transforms us into Christ-likeness. He divides his book into three main sections, which will give me my three main points for the book review. The first is the foundation for personal change, the pattern for personal change, and the means for personal change. So I'll quickly go over three main points from each of those sections. The first is the foundation for personal change, which I already touched on this, right? It is the gospel The gospel is what changes us. As we draw our attention this morning to the spiritual disciplines, it'll become clear, I'm sure, that it is the gospel that brings about our transformation in Christ as we set our minds on the work that Christ has done. God does not accept us because we change. We are motivated to change because God accepts us, right? In the foreword to Hedge's book, Donald Whitney states that a weak grasp of the gospel is a hindrance to holiness. Or to relate it directly to our study of spiritual disciplines this morning, Hedges states it this way. In all our practice of the spiritual disciplines, we must remember that only the gospel can change us. Always be feeding your soul at the banqueting table of God's love in Christ. The spiritual disciplines are really all about keeping your soul in constant contemplation of Christ. I love that. Constant contemplation of Christ. Hedges picks up that term from Jonathan Owen in a lengthy quote, which I think is profitable to read here. Let us live in constant contemplation of the glory of Christ, and virtue will proceed from him to repair all our decays, to renew a right spirit within us and to cause us to abound in all duties of obedience. The most of our spiritual decays and barrenness arise from an inordinate admission of other things into our minds. For these are they that weaken grace in all its operations. 
But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and his glory, when the soul thereon cleaves unto him with intense affections, they will cast out or not give admittance unto those causes of spiritual weakness and indisposition. End quote. The gospel really is at the heart of our transformation. And that's the first point of Hedge's book. We really are transformed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as we look and gaze by the Spirit with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord and are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Well, if that's the first point, the second point is the practical. How does the gospel go about changing us? What patterns are formed in the life of a man who is daily being transformed by the gospel. Hedges gets really practical here. And this is the main point of that second section. A man whose life is daily being transformed by the gospel will be marked by four main patterns. The first is that he will be utterly captivated by the beauty of holiness. The second and third is that he will be daily putting off the old self and putting on the new what we would call mortification and vivification. And the fourth is that he will be daily on a quest to find his joy in Christ. Hedges provides a fitting quote here by Matthew Henry. The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which our tempter baits his hooks. As we see with the example in Moses in in Hebrews 11, we're told that he turns away from the fleeting pleasures of Egypt to the greater wealth of Christ, looking to the reward. Holiness really is empowered by a superior satisfaction. And in Christ, there certainly is enough to satisfy us. As we will sing here, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Why? Because Christ is our inheritance now and always. Well, here's the third and last point of Hedge's book. The utensils or means by which we get the feast of the gospel into our mouths and delight on it in our hearts and are satisfied are threefold. Spiritual disciplines, circumstances, and people. Those are the three tools, the three means by which we get the gospel into our hearts and are transformed. Well, my Cliff Notes version of this book doesn't provide me enough time to unpack those things. But if any of those things grab your intention or you are intrigued by them, feel free to just read the book. You're welcome to borrow my copy or grab a copy offline. And if you do, I pray it will stir your affections for Christ and understanding of how God sanctifies, as I know it has my own. I look forward to learning more about the spiritual disciplines with y'all this morning. And Randy? Yes, Christ Formed in You by Brian Hedges. Well, may Christ be our vision more and more. Amen. Let's stand, brothers. Prepare to sing. It is my hope for our church that we would be known as a church filled with men who love to sing out praise in faith. This is a, an opportunity for us to exercise this corporate spiritual discipline as we sing out together. So let us 
Let us be that church of singing men. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be For those of you uh, that I've not gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Alex Schroeder. Uh, it's a joy to get to be here with you guys, um, and I'm grateful for you guys taking the chance to be here 
on a Saturday morning to come together and hear from God's word and be encouraged by uh, the mutual faith that we have. Uh, real quick before I do begin, I do just want to say some thanks because uh, even though this isn't as big of a group as we could imagine fitting in a space like this, doing this takes some coordination. And so Dave, Marshall, Brett, Drew, there were a number of volunteers too that came early to help set up chairs and help you guys get checked in. Thank you guys for your labor both today and in the days and the time leading up to this. We're grateful for it and you're serving us in a big way. So we're grateful guys. Um, hey, real quick, let me pray for our time and then we'll get going. Uh, Father, we uh, would be foolish to come to your word now and think that we in our own strength can learn uh, without your help. Uh, God, we petition your spirit to come and would you give illuminating uh, power to our feeble minds and to help us to find uh, your word sweet now, sweeter than honey. And God, may that same sweetness carry us uh, through all of life. God, as we sing uh, and pray that we would reach heaven's joys, God, we thank you that you have given us your word and these spiritual disciplines to be a means to uh, keep us walking faithfully, following you all the way until the end. And so God, would you use this time uh, as one tiny drop in a bucket uh, that will shape and form us to be men who are honoring Christ in every way. God, be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, to get started, I want you to answer a question with the folks around you, okay? Um, what things in your life require discipline? What things in your life require discipline? Talk amongst yourselves. That should be sufficient time to have gotten some ideas thrown out there. Uh, I want to hear from you all. Just shout out what were some of the things that were shared? What required discipline in your life? Work. Bible reading. Exercise. Yeah, amen to that one. Yeah, yeah. Was that the most said one? Exercise? Marriage? What was that, Christoph? Getting up in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Budgeting. Oh, that's a great one, yeah. Running a household generally, yeah, yeah. Nobody said dieting, but that's, I, maybe exercise and diet go together, but man, I, I don't know about you guys, I had that burrito and I thought I could probably eat four more of these if people weren't around watching me, yeah, yeah. All right, tons of things require discipline. I have a second question, and this, this one I'm gonna put on the screen. This is a broad question, but so I want you to think creatively about it. What is the goal of discipline in your life? In all of those areas, work, marriage, Diet, exercise, running a household, budgeting. What's the goal? Hold on. I heard improvement. I heard another one. Order. Okay, improvement. Christoph? Faithfulness. Yeah. Fruitfulness. Yeah. Excellence. Glorifying the Lord. No, come on. I'm just kidding, Ernesto. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dave? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Guys, all these are great answers. They're all there. And I think... I, what I'd want us to see, uh, there's one word that was said in there that I really want us to land on. And if you're going to have some kind of theme to my message today, I think this is what it is. It's this idea of growth or improvement. Discipline in its 
essence is intended for us to be changing and growing. And that's not an, an abstract idea that we're just picking up in the 21st century. Let me try and prove it to you. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Paul, or no, I'm sorry, not Paul. Who knows? Maybe it's Paul. The author's, <laughs> that's up in the air. Author of the Hebrews is making this point about the Lord, how the Lord relates to us. And he says the Lord disciplines us. So let's read here. He, he starts by talking about fathers disciplining their children. And that's the they. For they, fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that's God, disciplines us for our good. Notice the underlined portion. Why? Why is the discipline there? That we may share his holiness. We don't, but how are we going to? Discipline. Let's keep reading. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful, here we go, fruit of righteousness. That's the improvement. That's the growth to those who have been trained by it. The aim of discipline, broadly, whether it's at work, exercise, whatever, is growth. And the aim for personal spiritual disciplines, what we're talking about, is for the Christian to grow. So I want to consider a couple things today related to this idea of growth. First, how do Christians grow? And second, why should Christians work to grow? Why should we work to grow? All right. So let's start. How do we change? <clears throat> I'm actually really grateful for this because uh, it made me feel like I'm not totally out there in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I, I've listed three things that I think the Lord uses in our lives to change us. And it works out that uh, Ben, talking about this book review, Christ Formed in You by Brian Hedges, said the same three things. So I'm like, okay, I'm not out here on my own. So what are the three things the Lord uses to grow us? His word, circumstances, and people that he places around us. And there's probably others you could add to that list. We can quibble over it, but I think we can all look at those three things, his word, circumstances in our lives, and people, and say, amen. The Lord is using those things in my life, and he has. I'm sure we could go around and number thousands of ways the Lord has used people to transform the lot of us in this room today. But I want us to go a little even deeper than that. Uh, we ask, let me skip ahead. I'm really bad with slides here, guys. <clears throat> who does the work to grow Christians? Who does the work? There's those three components, but who's the one doing the work? All right, let's look at the Bible and answer this because I think it's, the answer is a little bit of, it's not an either or, it's a both and with an emphasis on one of the, one of the two. Does that make sense? I think it'll make more sense as we go. All right, first, let's consider 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7. Paul says this to the Corinthians, I planted, Apollos, that's another leader in the Christian church in Corinth, watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And I think this verse acknowledges a tension that we're feeling. Paul's ministry mattered. He was doing something. He was watering. It was helpful. It was necessary. Apollos, too, he was doing significant things. But God is the one that was at work through their ministry. Amen? So it's both and. Paul mattered. Apollos mattered. God made it happen. But let's go, or before we move on, let's consider, oh, here, sorry. My slides are out of order. <clears throat> I think from this verse, we need to think of this image. It's so simple. Paul watered, planted, right? And I think we need to see that 
there's a metaphor for planting that relates to Christian growth. Think about plants. I'm not a gardener, but I learned this as a young child. Plants need a couple things to grow. Good soil, water, sunlight, and air, right? So if you do those four things, you get, them, you get that right, your plants are going to grow. But does the plant put itself in that situation and environment? No. We're the ones that put it in the right environment, but are we the ones that make it grow? Not really. I mean, I'm not... It's, it's complicated, right? But it's happening. We put it in the right environment, and then over time, boom, growth is taking place. So I think it's a metaphor we need to consider. I'll, try, I'll, I'll tie some threads together here at the end. Let me figure out real fast. Maybe I need Chris to do this. Can you go back a slide for me, Chris? Or memo? I don't know how to go back on this PowerPoint or on the uh, iPad. There we go. Thanks, guys. Let's consider another verse. The previous verse, 1 Corinthians 3, addressed ministers that are ministering. The benefit of Philippians 2 is that it's addressed to individual Christians and is saying, Christians, you need to do something. So let's read it now. Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul exhorts this church and us today to get to work, to work out your salvation. And just to be clear, I don't want us to misunderstand how this works. Paul's not telling us to work out so that we would earn salvation. We are working out of a salvation we already possess. So, he says, Christians, work hard so that your salvation that's already within you is worked out and expressed outwardly in daily life. Your attitudes, your affections, your desires, your behaviors, the choices and commitments that you make. So Paul tells Christians, work hard, get to work, do something, be diligent, be disciplined. But then he gives us some confidence after such a daunting task, because that's daunting. Work it out. Oh, man. But there's confidence. Why? For God is the one that works in you. Christian growth is a compatible endeavor. What I mean by that is that there's two parties working together compatibilistically. They're both, it's like shaking hands. You don't just have one guy that shakes a hand. Both hands are coming together and grabbing hold. God is working in us as we are putting work in to our own spiritual growth. And so we have a lot of confidence as we do spiritual growth that God will bless it and use it. So what's the image here? We have the plant for 1 Corinthians 3. The image for us here is a sailboat. I was once told that no good sailor goes out on the water and has a great day at sea and then comes back and brags about how good of a sailor he is. People that sail sailboats, they brag about the wind because they know that it's not their work that actually moved the boat along. And even as we consider that, we go, yeah, that makes sense. But then we go, but wait, you were doing something. You weren't just sitting on that boat with the sails laying on the, on the, the deck, right? You were putting them up. You were reading the wind. You were paying attention to what was happening. You were turning the sails. You were behind the, the ship moving it and doing it. It's compatible. And in the same way, I think these two images, the plant and the sailboat, instruct us on how we ought to think about spiritual disciplines. 
In the same way that we have to find the right environment to put the plant in and over the course of time it grows, and in the same way the wind is pushing the boat but the sailor is the one doing the work, this is the Christian life for us. We have to put our way, we have to find ourselves in the right environment to grow. We have to put our sails up in the way of the wind of grace. And God will do the work. The plant will grow. The boat will be pushed along. But we've got to put a, we have to find ourselves in the right environment. That's our effort. We have to put our sails up. And how do we do those things? Those are spiritual disciplines. That's how it all fits. Who's at work in us? God's at work in us. But we have work to do. So let's put our sails up. So what are spiritual disciplines? Transitioning from how do we grow? Let's talk about uh, how, what are the exact, exact things we do that are growing Christians. This is the definition that Donald Whitney puts forward in this book. If you've purchased it, you'll find this early on in the book. Spiritual disciplines are practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth in believers. Practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth in believers. Let's break this down just to give some clarity to it. Practices. Spiritual disciplines are things that we do. They're actions that are repeated. They're choices and commitments that we make to do. It's things we have to find time for. They're not attributes. Spiritual disciplines aren't love or patience. Uh, it's not virtues. It's not an attitude of the heart. It's not a humility. Humility is a godly virtue. We all need it. But that's not a spiritual discipline. We're mainly talking about practices. Second thing, it's in Scripture. This might be the most controversial of the words here. Because some people, I don't know if this is anybody in this room necessarily, but some people want to say that spiritual disciplines can be anything that might encourage us in our faith or make us think about the grandness or the glory of God. You know, so you might have heard the, this is such a, char a characterization of people that whether it's fair or not, I don't know, but you'll hear people say like, well, I'm closest to God when I'm out hiking in the Sandias. And it's like, well, yeah, you can see the glory of God in nature and be struck by his grandeur, but that wouldn't be a spiritual discipline that's taking in the word or responding to the, the way the Lord has revealed himself in scripture. It's still a good thing to be aware and mindful and have a Godward mind when we're walking on, on hikes and whatever else we're doing, right? Um, so yeah, if you're going to tell me a spiritual, dif a spiritual discipline is a craft that you're doing that has a Christian bent to it, I'd say, no, I don't think so. These are practices that are found in Scripture. Here in a little bit, once we break up into discussion groups, I'm just gonna, one of the questions we have for you guys is to think about what practices are in the Bible that are disciplines. And which of those things do we do, the ones that come to mind quickly, and which ones do we often not think about? And just as a help to you, if you have the book, look at the table of contents. Uh, it'll give you most of the answers, and some of you maybe already have. Yeah. So there are practices, they're found in Scripture, and they promote spiritual growth in believers. We've already talked a lot about this. I do just want to make one comment, though. The, one of the temptations we all face when we consider spiritual disciplines is that we take spiritual disciplines from being means for us in the Christian life and make them the ends of the Christian life. I'm sure you've heard this from somebody who said, man, I just, I'm, I need to read my Bible more. And you're like, yeah, tell me why. Like, I, of course, reading the Bible is wonderful. And then as they explain and unpack it more, you start to realize their only metric that they have for 
seeing that they're living a faithful life is whether or not they've read their Bible. And in the end, what we're seeing is that spiritual disciplines, though a good thing, are elevated in such a way that it is the one metric that says that that's the definition of godliness, is I read my Bible a lot. Or because I've read my Bible, I have a biblical knowledge base that's extensive. And while those are good things, that is not the definition that the Bible ever puts forward as godliness, as just having a large brain that knows biblical references and what the order of the Old Testament minor prophets are. So that's a danger for us, is to make spiritual disciplines not the means of growth, which is the goal, but to make them ends that we put our hope in. Kevin DeYoung put it this way in Whole in Our Holiness. Christians often equate holiness with spiritual disciplines. And while it's true that spiritual disciplines are necessary for the cultivation of holiness, the pattern of piety in Scripture is more explicitly about our character. It's more explicitly about who we are more than what we do. And so these are tools that God has given to us that we should steward to grow ourselves, not things that we should use to define how we're doing before the Lord. Does that make sense? Maybe talk through this some more in your, in your time as, uh, in, in discussion groups, because I think this is something that nobody, I'm not sta- standing here saying don't read your Bible. But I'm saying don't, don't view reading your Bible as the only standard of whether or not you're a faithful Christian. Is that helpful? We can dialogue more if you have questions. All right. I'm going to transition us. Why do we do the spiritual disciplines? Why do we do these things? I've already said the overarching thing is just growth, right? It's one of the things we're aiming for is growth. But I think there's other things here we need to see, other beautiful truths that are just sweet to us. And I hope what this does is this motivates you. It helps you say, I want to do this. This is a sweet blessing the Lord's given me. It's not a drudgery. This is a joy that I've been given, right? So first, the promises of God. What should motivate us to do spiritual disciplines? God's promises to us. There's actually two kind of big types of promises I want to give here. So if you're taking notes, one idea of promises of God, but kind of two subsets, okay? The first one is God's promise for our sanctification, that we would be holy like him. So let's read some verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How many of you want to know God's will for your life? I just told it to you. It's sanctification. That's what God wants for you, is that you would be holy like Christ is holy. That's his aim for us. So we should ask, what's our aim? Is that my endeavor in life, to be holy like Christ is holy? You might be thinking, that's not a promise. What's going on there? That's just a statement. We'll work toward the promise. I want you to see the many verses that talk about God's desire for his people to be holy. So let's look at Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. If you're a Calvinist here and you like Calvinism, hopefully you're on my side now because I'm reading a verse you really like. For For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Yeah, that's right. To what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That we, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Why did God foreknow and predestine sinners to be saved? So that they would look like Jesus Christ. So that they would live like Jesus Christ. God's will for you is to be sanctified and his eternal purposes of salvation 
are for you to be like Jesus. Now let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself do what? May he sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The Lord will sanctify you completely and perfectly in the day of Jesus Christ. God has purposed it for your life individually. He's purposed his whole plan of redemption is for the sake of having sons that look like Jesus Christ and he's faithful and he'll surely bring it about. And so it's worth us asking, if God willed this, if he predestined this for us and he's promised to bring it about, why would we not pursue that endeavor with the same vigor as the Lord does? His promise is to bring us to holiness. We should want this too. And what are the means that God has given for his church to grow in holiness? Disciplines. Personal spiritual disciplines. Brothers, this is a sweet thing. And you know what makes it even sweeter? Because I hope you don't hear me just going, guys, get to work, pick it up. What are you doing? Why are you so lazy? I, I would just come back to that Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For God works in you. You may feel daunted by this thought of being holy like Christ is holy, but God is at work in you. The God that with a word spoke everything into creation. The God who with a word sent 10 plagues on Egypt. The God who said, is his hand too short to save? The God who raised his son from the dead triumphantly. That God is at work in you. For what? So that you What's the worst? God is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That your inner desires, your will would be conformed to Christ and that your outward working, your actions would be conformed to Christ. Brothers, we can do this because God is with us. So one reason, that promise of God that we'd be holy like Christ is holy. Here's another promise. That, we, that when we come near to God, he'll be near to us. It's not gonna come back void and empty. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Brothers, we have confidence that when we do spiritual disciplines, God will work in us, but we also have the promise that we're not gonna come to the word. We're not gonna come to him in prayer. We're not gonna fast and meditate on scripture. We're not gonna gather with the saints and he's not gonna act, act good on it. He'll be there. He will grow you. As surely as the sun will rise, God will use these means in your life. Don't think that it's a waste of time. It's going to do work and praise God for it. Why else do we do spiritual disciplines? Because we have a new desire for God. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we were our own gods. And when we were born again, God gave us a new heart to love him and to submit to him. And now he's our greatest treasure, as we sang earlier. This is the glories of the new covenant that God is our God and we are his people. And it's not a distant relationship. God is not dwelling in a tabernacle or in a temple far away. God has come and dwelt and resided within us and he's our treasure. This is incredible, guys. John Piper put it this way in his book, God is the Gospel. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. 
The beauties of God's work in us is that we have him. He's ours. And how do we get to know him more? How do we see his glory most clearly? By coming into the word. By being in these spiritual disciplines. I just want to encourage you guys by the language Paul uses in Philippians 3. I don't have these on the PowerPoint slide, so I'll read it slowly and try and emphasize appropriately the words. Paul says this in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. This is nuts. Why would you do that? I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is knowing Christ Jesus surpassing worth over everything in your life? Objectively, it is. There's greater glories and joys that you have in knowing Jesus than anything this world offers. And brothers, don't forget that. And you need to be reminded of that. And the one way you're reminded of that is by reading the Bible, by praying to the Lord, by fasting and telling yourself through fasting, I don't need food as much as I need God. I'm going to wait for God because I'm praying for this thing. I'm going to keep praying until the Lord acts. This is what we need. God is our supreme value. The next reason, there's eternal value in this. I don't know how many of you guys are businessmen. I don't know many of you guys like to invest money or think about like return on investment and all of those things, right? But guys think that way. We're all, we all like to do that. Uh, hear the words of 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. And you tell me how good of a return on investment spiritual disciplines are. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Guys, being holy, loving the Lord will never fail you. And it will never be out of style in heaven to be a holy person. So you can work now and think, man, my life looks crazy. All these people live for other things. But I, I beat my body into submission. That's the language of Paul in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. I beat my body into submission to honor the Lord. And outwardly, it looks weird. Like I'm not prioritizing the things the world does. And good for you. Because you're prioritizing things heaven prioritizes. And that's how we ought to live now is that we say, you know, getting, getting a big home, getting whatever, getting the glitz and glam of life, getting the, the cush life, whatever, whatever people might say is worth living. The Bible says living in a godly way is worth it more. And it'll always be that way. So brothers, let's, let's go for that instead. Let's aim higher than the world tells us to aim. And the way we aim higher is by going to those disciplines, being consistent and steady in them. Final point, why do spiritual disciplines? The way the Bible exhorts us to be godly. There's one verse that I think is heavy as we consider it. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And, the verb carries over, and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's a heavy verse, guys a heavy verse because it says that not only are we when we're justified do we have the promise of eternal life but it also says that 
there's a sanctification that must happen for us to, have, to be in eternal life too. There's a holiness that we must strive for as Christians. And this does raise some questions. It does. We are quick and right to boast about being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works that no man may boast. And then we look at Hebrews 12 and we go, well, wait a minute. Is it saying the same thing? It kind of sounds different. I think this is a good question to have from a verse like this. But we have to see that in the context of Hebrews 12, 14, the author is exhorting believing Christians who are on the verge of turning away from their faith to keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Keep growing in godliness. He's not telling them how to be saved, but he is saying that once you are saved, your inner desires are changed and your inner principles of life are different and you will now desire holiness and seek and pursue it and strive for it in daily life. And so brothers, don't think that pursuing holiness is legalism. That's how the devil wants you to think. Seeking for holiness is living as a gospel-centered man. It sounds antithetical sometimes to the way that we talk about grace, but no, if you're going to be a gospel-centered man, you're saved by grace, and then you work hard for holiness because God's at work in you. And it's easy for us to forget that. All right, real quick, I want to do three attitudes that we need as we come to spiritual disciplines. Three attitudes. I think these are, you could also think of these as guardrails. I think if we're doing these things well, spiritual disciplines won't lead us into legalism, won't lead us into pride, won't lead us into devastation and discouragement when we fail, or we're not doing them like we ought to. I think these are, if we have these three attitudes, we're going to be doing the disciplines well, and we're going to be thinking and feeling rightly about them. So the first one, resting, resting. If we are not resting in Christ while we do the spiritual disciplines, we will fail. Uh, This relates to my previous point, but we do the spiritual disciplines driven by the grace of God, not striving for God's grace. Does that make sense? We're not doing them saying, God, give me grace. I'm doing enough. Please give it to me. I'm holy enough. Save me. Don't you see how much I'm reading your word? But instead we say, God, you've been at work in me. You've saved me and I love you and all I have is yours. What, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? New York Times doesn't have words of eternal life. Sports Center doesn't have words of eternal life. All the things that might distract me from you don't. So I'll come to you. And we rest knowing that our salvation's not in our spiritual disciplines, but it's in Christ. This is actually what we need to not get puffed up by, the guy, by being the guy that spends an hour, seven days a week praying and has a fasting schedule where we fast one day a week and then three days a month and then a week every year. There's some fasting schedules that are that way and I love that stuff, but it can also drive you to proud legalism and boasting in your, what you're doing. And you're not gonna do that if you're resting in Christ, but you're also not going to be pitying and wallowing in your failure when it's been three weeks and you haven't opened your Bible because you're going to know it's not this practice that saved me. I ought to change. I ought to pursue the Lord through disciplines again, but this is not what earned my way into God's family. Second attitude we need. We need dependence. We need dependence. Jesus says 
that the spirit moves where it wishes. It's like the wind. So that actually remind, needs to, how this cautions us is that spiritual disciplines aren't like magic. We don't just sit down, open the Bible and read it and then it just happens. We come to the Bible as dependent people. We need the spirit's help to make the words clear to us to apply them to our hearts, to give us insight into our own sin and how the Bible uniquely addresses what we're doing and not doing. So we need dependence as we come to spiritual disciplines. And finally, we need diligence. We need diligence. Guys, disciplines are, are inherently hard. That's why they're called, that's why the idea of discipline connotates something difficult. Even Hebrews 12 said, oh, all discipline in the moment's painful. That idea has been around for over 2,000 years, that discipline's hard. So guys, we need diligence here. I said this earlier because it was a salient point to me many years ago. I was not great at spiritual disciplines. I was not great at fighting my personal sin. And the reason I kept saying was because if I fought sin hard and if I read my Bible consistently, and worked hard to do it, and did it when I didn't want to do it, I would be legalistic. Guys, that's a foolish way to think. And I just, I don't know in a room this size how many of you might be convinced, man, if it's really hard, then it's legalistic because I'm pushing through. I would say, no, that's a labor of love. Because when you love somebody, you sacrifice your wishes at your expense, even when it's hard, to do what's best. And so, guys, I just want you to know it, it is going to take diligence. And part of diligence means that we're all progressing. Some of you maybe haven't read your Bible in three weeks or a month. And even when you did, it was for five minutes and you didn't get much out of it. For you, brother, strive this week to read your Bible two to three times and rejoice in the progress that's being made. And for those of you that are already consistent and steady, and are five, doing it five to seven days a week for 30 minutes or more, brother, I would encourage you, strive to get more out of it. Strive to be more prayerful, more heartfelt, more moved by the truths of scripture. Or as Marshall said, strive to add a new spiritual discipline in. If you are great in reading and prayer, add hospitality, which is a real act of discipline you have to do to serve other people, add evangelism in. None of us are, have perfectly progressed to doing all of the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life perfectly. But it's really easy for us to get set in, hey, I'm reading enough, I'm praying enough, I'm ticking the boxes, I'm done. And not all of us to say, I wanna diligently progress and I wanna keep improving. I wanna keep getting better. I wanna keep knowing the Lord. I wanna keep striving. All right, guys. Let me try and land this plane. To, to conclude, I want to consider two significant landmarks in the United States. It sounds strange, but I'll try and tie it together. First, let's talk about Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens, on May 18th, 1980, had one of the largest seismic eruptions that's happened in the United States. Actually, maybe it is the largest. Um, there arose out of it, the eruption rose up 80,000 feet out of it on, March, on, on May 18th, 1980. For you that aren't doing math as quickly as I can, I did it before I got here, that's 15 miles into the air. 
Smoke and ash just shot out of this thing 15 miles into the air. Ash was found in 11 U.S. states after this happened. Isn't that crazy? 11 states. Uh, the mudslide that happened from this uh, eruption went 50 miles. Uh, there was actually a, a radius around the mountain that they called the tree removal zone. Because for eight miles, my eight mile radius, it just demolished every tree in, the, in sight. Just bowed it, towed it, like destroyed it all the way down. Uh, even today, Mount St. Helens looks totally different. Do you want to see what it looked like right after this happened? This photo is right before it happened. Are you ready? This is how, how cataclysmic this was. That's what it looked like after. The mountain was reformed. Uh, so much that it decreased from 9,600 feet to 8,300 feet. It lost 1,300 feet of elevation. Isn't that nuts? And they've estimated that 150 new lakes and ponds were formed because of this. I don't know how, but 150 new lakes and ponds were formed. This was a momentary, cataclysmic, shaping moment. Trees were destroyed, wildlife demolished, many people lost their homes and lives. Crazy, in a moment. Now let's consider a second ge geographical thing in the United States. This one's very close to us, the Grand Canyon. How many people have been to the Grand Canyon here? Okay, quite a few. I haven't been yet. I'd like to go at one point. The Grand Canyon, at some points, is around 2,600 feet deep, so about a half mile. Uh, at times, or it spans almost 300 miles, 270 miles. Um, it can be anywhere from 4 to 18 miles across, which is just un that's unreal to think about, a hole in the ground that big. And it's larger than the entire state of, of Rhode Island, the Grand Canyon is. Isn't that nuts? I mean, Rhode Island's pretty puny. Is anybody from Rhode Island? I'd like to make fun of you publicly. I'm just kidding. Um, it's nuts. And this hole in the ground appears to be shaped by the dinky Colorado River. And it is a dinky river. I, I mean, I'm trying, I don't want to be too hard on it, but it's a small river. Listen to these numbers. The largest river in the United States is the Mississippi River. 650,000 cubic feet of water a second come out of the Mississippi River. Do you want to know how much comes out of the Colorado River? 1,400. 650,000 to 1,400. And this tiny little puny river over time bore down to the best we can tell and carved out this giant canyon. Insane. So we're talking about these two geo geological features. One's cataclysmic in a moment, life-shaping, everything's turned over and changed. And then you've just got slow and steady. If you stood there watching it, you wouldn't even think anything's happening. So how does this relate to us? I think the Lord shapes us in the very same ways. There are cataclysmic, life-shaping things that happen to us. Trials, sufferings, loss. These things just happen and they change everything. And in good ways too. Getting married is a life-altering thing that happens in a moment. I remember the first time our daughter was born, I went, oh man, everything's different now. Up until then, it was, I was just living life. And then now, things are different. And the Lord uses these cataclysmic things to just upend and change life in a moment. And the Lord uses slow and steady, daily dripping things that don't really look that big of a deal. Things like the friends you spend time with. 
Things like your family that you didn't get to pick, but they've shaped you over the course of time. The church is this way. The church we pick and the way we engage in community at the church shapes us slowly. And I would suggest too that spiritual disciplines are the same way. There won't be a morning that you are reading your Bible where you're just like, everything just flipped. Nothing's the same. That can happen, but I would just suggest that's not the, the, the normal course of spiritual disciplines will feel mundane and normal. It will be, it won't feel miraculous. It won't feel like something flipped your life upside down and changed every part of you. But daily and regularly being in the word and prayer, uniting with other Christians is like a drip of water over and over and over again in the same spot. And over years of doing that, the rock doesn't look the same. And we get to choose that one. The Lord chooses the cataclysmic life-ending things for us that just flip everything over, and we choose the daily drip. So my encouragement to you, brothers, is put yourself in the way of grace. Put your sail up where the wind's blowing of God's grace and recognize that there will be a daily slow drip that won't look like much every day. But over years and years, we will say, God, I'm not the same person I was. My sins, my proclivity towards sin is different. My loves are different. Brothers, this is the joy that we have, being Christians, being given the beautiful thing of spiritual disciplines. Let me pray, and I'll invite Mark, or I think we're singing next. Let me pray. God, we do see your word as a sweet, sweet gift to us. Uh, we have nothing apart from your word. And you have been so kind to give it to us. To pray, to read, to study, to meditate, uh, to obey and live in life. God, help us to be men of your word. And God, we pray that as we're men of your word, we would be blessings to those around us. God, help us to love your word and help us to seek it with all that we have. And may we say like Paul that we count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing you as our Lord. God, we thank you for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing now. Let's sing that these, because these words are true and so that they may be true. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise, let them flow in ceaseless praise.
to grow in the Lord through spiritual disciplines. I'm so encouraged by Alex, thank you. Um, at this point, we're gonna transition to our discussion groups and you'll see that we have nine groups here in the auditorium, we have one in the foyer. So I'm gonna ask the discussion leaders, go ahead and choose a group and you'll have your sign there and you'll have discussion questions at the chair. Go ahead and you guys just pick a group. If it's filled up, move to the next one. You have about 30 minutes to discuss and May you be blessed. Also, ask one last favor. If all of you guys could just, or if you can, stay after. We just need help putting the chairs up, okay? Be blessed. Enjoy your time.